Dad, um, he's been in paradise for over 11 years now, and uh, I was thinking about him, and I was thinking about some of the ways he would preach, and he was one of those old-time preacher guys, you know, uh, maybe some of you have been in, uh, in though they'll say a lot of before, where it sounds like they have asthma when they preach because they'll say a line and they do that kind of thing. And it's just, I was thinking about some good times that we had. And a father is like a tree. A father is like a tree. We don't realize how much ground it covers until it's gone. And we realize that fathers in the house are just so important, aren't they? A good spiritual leader in the home. There's nothing like it. And uh, I, I read something this week, and actually it's from a friend of mine, Tommy Galloway. And he, he wrote this book, and this is one of his quotes. He says, your kids need unlimited daddy more than they need unlimited data. I thought that was pretty good. And you like that? That's good stuff there. And so with the studies that have been shown, and, uh, and today being Father's Day, I thought it was interesting that there are father factors in these studies. And one of the things that I noticed was they said close to 20 million children live without a dad in the home here in America. And that's one in four kids. And this study was done a couple years ago. I I don't know what their facing like the 2020 studies would show. But this is some of their findings of, of a dad not being in the home. There's a four-time greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to be pregnant as a teenager without a father in the home, more likely to face abuse and have behavioral problems, to end up in prison, two times the risk of obesity. I thought that, that was... Interesting, and two times more likely to drop out of high school because there isn't a father in the home. Now you say, well, having a, a spiritual father in the home, does that, does that guarantee a perfect child? No, there are no perfect people. But the chances are greater when the father is in their lives for them to turn out to be great citizens and great people. I, I read something else I want to share with you since we're on Father's Day And it comes from Dr. David Papineau. And he says, involved fathers, and especially biological fathers, bring positive benefits to their children as no other person is likely to bring. They provide protection, economic support, and male role models. And I think that this is so important that we realize that God's word set this up at the beginning. To have a man and a woman in a relationship, and have children. And he did it on purpose because the man's role is very important in the home and so is the woman's. You need male and female. And it seems like society is saying, well, we don't care what God's word says. We we just want to do what we want to do. And we're seeing a whole lot of examples of, actually, I would say it's rebellion, not only in America, but in our world. I would be upset, too, if I didn't have the opportunity to have my dad. Now, I know that there's cases where it's out of your control. Your father may have passed away. It's out of your hands. I get all that. But when 
you have a young man running around and he has fathered, say, four children by the age of 18, that's not a man. That's just someone making babies. Leaving a young woman to care for this child and to try to make ends meet. And, and thus we get these statistics that I just read to you. I think it's time, not only for America, but the entire world, to come back to the basics of the Word of God. Because this is what stands forever. This doesn't lie. It is true. And it will stand forever. And so, I was, I was, uh, been, this month, we've been studying about David and uh, today I want to talk about David's giants because we all face some giants in life. And when you get home this week, you can read 1 Samuel 17. Uh, later on, it's, it's very lengthy. But David evidently had a good daddy because David had all this character when he was a young man. And uh, in fact, he comes from a genealogy of his great-grandmother, was Ruth, and you know the story of Ruth. That's his great-grandmother. And so what I want to do is I want to share some of the giants that David had faced and that not only for fathers today, but we're all going to have to face some of these giants. So when you get home, 1 Samuel 17, you can read that. One of the things that I found interesting in in this passage of Scripture is, is this giant that we know his name is Goliath. And he was over nine feet tall. And you have someone like King Saul, who was head and shoulders above everyone else, the Bible tells us, that he was a rather tall man, yet he wasn't as big as this guy named Goliath. And it's a lot different when you're looking up at your problem than when you are like God looking down on the problem. I love God's eye view, don't you? Do you like God's eye view? Have you ever heard of the bird's eye view or when you're up in a plane, how small mountains can look until you get back down on the ground? And that's where Saul lost his ability to lead when his problem or his giant was bigger than he was. When his giant was bigger than he was. And for 40 days, imagine that. 40 days, day and night, Goliath would come out and ridicule God's people. Send me a man to fight. And I wonder, and, and this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. How many times have we faced but not confronted our giants? How many times have we faced but not confronted our giants? If we never confront the giants or the enemies that are in front of us, they will never go away. They just won't. Saul never looked at his situation through spiritual eyes, did he? Everyone was afraid to fight except for one young man. And let's talk about some of the fears that maybe you face today. And I may touch somewhere deep in the crevices of your emotions today. And I hope I do because we all have some giants that we have to face. 
Let's talk about the first giant, and it's the giant of comfort. If you want to jot some of these down, you're more than welcome to. The giant of comfort. Everyone say comfort. When Kaylee was young, I'm going to use her as an example today. When Kaylee was young, we, uh, she was involved in volleyball. She loved being on the team. She loved playing volleyball. And so when I would be at work all day, I would come home, and, and she probably was 11, 12 years old, some, somewhere around in that age. And when I would get home being exhausted, it's in the summertime, and she would just be jumping up and down saying, Daddy, let's go outside in the backyard and let's, let's practice playing volleyball. The giant of comfort. The giant would speak to me and say, you need to sit back, drink some sweet tea in your favorite chair in the A.C. now that you just got home. How many know what I'm talking about? You had kids. You understand this. But it was really important to her that I come out there and play volleyball with her. I remember we had this really big, I mean, it was, it was a, that window's name was Goliath. This back window at the back side of our house, and she'd be hitting that volleyball, whoosh, getting so close to that window. I have prayed a lot of prayers about that window because I didn't want her to get hurt. Neither did I want to pay to get that window replaced. And so what I did, I, I would come home from work, and she would ask me to come outside, and I went outside and I played volleyball. And you know what? To this day, I don't regret the time that I spent with her at that age of her life. There's no regrets. At the moment, possibly, when it's 110 in the shade and the summer down here in central Texas, yeah, we get that, don't we? It's hot. These are giants of comfort that we have to overcome. And if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to look at verse 20. It says, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. Now, notice this. He's going to leave the flock. He gets a shepherd to take care of. No, that's that's good character right there. He's got somebody to watch the sheep. Loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. His father, Jesse, wanted him to go uh, give the boys some food and to check on his sons. He reached the camp. Right. Army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. So the giant of the comfort that David faced was, well, I could just stay here with the sheep and not have to go where the army is. I don't. I don't need to be out there where all the action is. I'm a shepherd. I'm not a, I'm not a giant killer. I'm a shepherd. And he, he left the security and the comfort of being there with his dad and his family that was still there at home. He left actually what was that he was more experienced with. Some of us need to get out of a comfortable situation and to do something that you've never done before. Someone came up to me uh, before a service and said, Hey, I lost my job this week. They fired like 15 of us. They let us go. And you know what? I told him, I said, Man, here's, here's what I've experienced. The joys of walking on the water are amazing. As long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to be okay. There are, there's another job that's waiting for you. And you be patient. Keep Keep your eyes open. Try to find that job. But you may have to get out of a very comfortable situation of just having unemployment, which thank God for it. But don't stay in there. Keep 
looking for before next job. I want to I want to do something different than I've never done before because I want to go somewhere in God that I've never been before. You'll never really trust and have faith in God until you are doing something that's uncomfortable. Everyone say uncomfortable. Yeah, going places you haven't been. Facing challenges you've never faced before. Stepping out of boats and walking on water. That is what we're talking about. And this is, this is what David had to overcome. He had to overcome this mentality of uh, playing it safe. I could just stay where the sheep are. But instead, he went where the enemy was fighting God's people. The second one is, is the giant of fear. If you want to jot that down, the giant of fear. First Samuel 17, 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly, guess what? Afraid. They were afraid. If you look at your giant with natural eyes, you're going to be afraid. If you look at this giant with natural eyes, you will be afraid. But you've got to look through spiritual eyes. And that's what I had to do this week myself. Not I began to look at my situation of some giants that I was facing, and I had to look at them not through the natural, but through the supernatural eyes of the Spirit. God doesn't see things the way that we do. God doesn't see it the way that we do. David could have stayed with the sheep and never experienced the victory. Yeah, he was anointed king, but he was still with the sheep. I think this is amazing that what a dad would say, hey, you're king, but you're still the shepherd boy. Now, you've been anointed. Now, get back with the sheep. That, that, that brings character. That's a good dad. Keep working until God elevates you to the next position. But he would have never been elevated if he had stayed with the sheep, not gone to the battlefield where the enemy is, is fighting God's people, saw that there's this huge giant that's over nine feet tall, folks. This is a big dude. And here is just maybe a teenager, David. And he's left what's comfortable. Now he's going to have to face some fears where you can't look at your giants through these kind of eyes of the natural. You have to look through the eyes of the spiritual, don't you? That's what we got to do. I want to use Kaylee one more time as an example. They told us that uh, we had less than a 5% chance to have a second child. And I want to stop right there. Well, God needs no chance to have a child. If, if God speaks, and that's what we had five prophecies to Kim and I about our, our two children. Five prophecies about our two children. And when time came, we, we had Carly. We were so blessed and so thankful for her. And we, there was just complications and problems and and the doctor said, you, you've got less than a 5% chance to have this child. And, and in our minds, we were thinking, you know what? God, you prophesied this. We're facing these fears. You spoke this into our life, and we believe you. And lo and behold, God didn't need any chance. Here comes Kaylee. Kim's pregnant. She has Kaylee. And we're at the hospital, and Joan Dolores, you'll probably remember, remember this situation. They thought that Kaylee was, was born with, a, with no hearing, and, uh, and that her kidneys would have not developed, and, and there, there would be problems. 
And so uh, we, we had to face this giant. Talk about fear. Kim and I at the time, we were uh, music pastors and loved music. And, and it was devastating for us because we knew how much we loved hearing music. And uh, we cared about our child. We wanted her to be able to hear like we did. And we're, they did a test. And they came back to us and they said, we're getting no response. We, we think that she's deaf. And we began to pray. Uh, Kim and I prayed. I, re- I remember sitting on the edge of the bed there at the hospital and praying to God for a miracle and, and for her kidneys to be okay. And we, we were just we were saying, God, you gave us this child. It was prophesied less than a 5% chance. You can do this. So they tried one more time. They took the test, came back. We're not getting any response. She cannot hear. And I, I remember just tears flowing down my wife's face. And we, we both actually were crying at this point. And we were, just, we were just wanting a miracle so badly. And we were concerned that this next test, they were going to check her kidneys. And we're like, God, we are believing. And we are facing this giant. But we're facing it through faith. Because you are still Jehovah Rapha. God is my healer. This is your daughter. We're believing for a miracle. And lo and behold, the third time they went to check on her with hearing, they came back and said, she can hear just fine and her kidneys are okay. That is what God does. God did a miracle for us. We had to face, we had to face those giants. You will have to face your giants as well. I'm not sure what the giants will be, but you've got to look through spiritual eyes. Everyone say spiritual eyes. Because fear, the natural eyes, fear sees sickness and not the Savior. Fear sees the difficulty, but not the deliverer. Fear sees the wind, but not the water walker. Fear sees fire, but it doesn't see the fourth man in the fire. And fear sees the valley, but it doesn't see the mountains on both sides of you. You've got to be able to look through eyes of faith. And fear sees the mean, screaming giant, but not the big, ugly forehead. Come on, somebody. And this is what David focused on. Here's Goliath's armor, you know, head to toe, except this one section, which was the most important that he should have had protected. And I want to tell you, that goes for us too, as spiritual people. Your mind needs to be protected. How? By what the, you've got to guard yourself with this stuff. You've got to let this sink into the mind. You've got to get this word into your heart or your Thought processes. Come on, somebody. I'm speaking to you today. And this is what is amazing. David never digressed to the level of calling him a giant. You know what he calls him? An uncircumcised Philistine. That's what he calls him. He never calls him by name. I thought that that was interesting. Well, I think a lot of times we glamorize the devil and make him out to be bigger than what what he really is. Ooh, he's a roaring lion. Ooh, 
he's a vicious dragon. We, we tend to do that. Ooh, he's the prince of the air. Uh, let me set the record straight. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is a fallen angel. He's a coward, a cheater. He's a thief. His mother is ugly and dresses him funny. And in this book, it tells me I've got power to tread on top of him in the mighty name of Jesus. He is already defeated. How? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I wish somebody would praise him right now. I thank you that you're greater than our fears, oh God. Because I can look through God's eye view, through spiritual eyes. I can leave what is comfortable and I can look beyond what I see in the natural. And if you want to jot this down today, I think this is so good. Everything that is parked on your promises is going to be towed. I love that. Everything that is parked on your promises is going to be towed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let me talk about another giant. Because you're going to face this one if you've lived long enough. The giant of criticism. The giant of criticism. 1 Samuel 17, 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. And how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. (laughs) Ah, How's that for family rivalry? I want to repeat uh, Tiffany's little girls that said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. And this is what I want to tell you. Never complain about what you permit. Never complain about what you permit. Notice, David is doing his father's will. But what I love about David, he didn't forget God's will of his heavenly father. And he could have let the voices of criticism stop him from wanting to fight this giant that was taunting God's people. And and I think this is so amazing that... David chose to face this giant of criticism and forget what his family is talking about him, criticizing him, saying he's only there to just look to see what's going on, when in reality, he's doing what his father asked him to do, to go check on his own brothers that's criticizing him and giving him food to bless him And all he's getting back is negativity. But that did not stop David from getting to that giant. What I think is amazing is criticism can be a lie with skin on it. It can come from another human. It could be jealousy. I don't understand why God's people would talk bad about one another that way. But I know it. if it happens in natural families, it can happen in a church. And if that ever happens to you, you're going to have to face it and say, you know what? 
you, you say what you need to say, but I'm doing my Father's will, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I had people put curses upon my ministry saying that we would never, ever have a church. And I have to give God the glory because God's the one who started this. He will finish it. God started this. He will finish it. And I don't care who tries to curse you. I'll tell you the things that I've seen happen. I've seen things boomerang and go back where it came from. You better be careful what you say to somebody. Can I get a good witness on that? You will reap the positive things you sow, and you will reap the negative things you sow as well. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost on that. And this is what I I want you to catch about this, this whole giant of criticism. Please don't listen to talk from others when you're in the huddle while God is trying to call the play. Or you're going to talk up the game. Don't listen the talk of others when you're in the huddle, when God is trying to call the play, or you're going to mess up the whole game. I think that's good. That's good, Brother Jeff. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And here's the last point I want to share with you is, is the giant of self. Giant of self. Look at 1 Samuel 17 and 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put the helmet of brass upon his head. I find it amazing that here's Saul who, he's tall. And he tries to give this young man, David, his armor to wear. Now, if it was some people I know, some people would have just been filled with pride and gone to the giant and tried to carry out God's will for their life with Saul's armor on and probably couldn't move. All right, Goliath, come here. I'm going to use my slingshot, and it would have never worked. Because David could have been filled with, ooh, I've got the crown of Saul. Oh, I've got his armor. And you know what? He said, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't wear this. Don't do something permanently stupid because you're temporarily upset. Here's David. He's upset because of the giant. He's taunting God's people. And it would have been very crazy for him to try to keep on Saul's armor. And I think it's important that David had enough sense to know the armor of someone else Will not, will not work in God's kingdom. Let me say that again. David had enough sense to know the armor of someone else will not work in God's kingdom. You can't have the anointing of somebody else when you're like, yeah, it's, it's cool to try to sing like somebody. It's kind of cool to preach like somebody. But if you try to be somebody else, it's not going to work because that's not what God called you to do. That's what God called them to do. You are uniquely and And you have been created on purpose the way that you are for a purpose. But I want to show you what David ended up taking. Verse 40. He did take his staff. Notice that. He took his staff. He he was a shepherd. He He had his staff. And five smooth stones and his sling. 
in verse 32 says, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him, and God will get the glory. Is what he ends up saying. David just didn't talk about his giant. He actually talked to his giant. And here's, here's this giant, Goliath, and he has a shield bearer in front of him. But David has the shield of the Lord in front of him. And he runs to his giant. He sets the pace. He made it all about God. And the question is, what actually knocked Goliath down? The slingshot or God? I believe it was both. Because David said, my God will give us this victory. He will. The battle, and that's why I love that song, the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to see a victory. (laughs) I love that. Don't you? David used what he had, but God did the rest. And I encourage you, yeah, you, you may not have the fancy armor. You may not wear the king's crown yet. But you keep doing what you know what to do. Well, my little bit doesn't amount to much. Let me remind you, little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. And if you're going to fight the Goliath, in a spiritual sense, make sure you've got a sword. Aren't you glad you've got a sword? And every time the enemy comes to you, You need to fight him just like Jesus did through the word of God. And David, you know the story. He takes out the sword of Goliath. And after he uses his slingshot, it hits the giant right here in the forehead, knocks him down on the ground. And David takes Goliath's own sword that Goliath said, I'm going to use against you and kill you with it. Feed your flesh to the birds. All this trash talk, you know, that's going on. David's like, no way. And here's Goliath. He's on the ground, and David takes his own, Goliath's own sword and chops his head off. That was the sword that was meant for David. And I want to tell you, when you begin to think about that, it makes Isaiah 54 and verse 17 more real. No weapon. Formed against you shall prosper. I want you to take that to heart today. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Would you say that with me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Verse 46, David said, so that the whole world will know. Did you catch that? So that the whole world would know the power of God. Who's he given the glory to? Yeah, he did, a, he did the action, but God gets the glory for what happened. So that the whole world will know the power of God. And I love this, and I, I'll close with this thought. Verse 51 says, when, when David used what was to take David's own life, He uses Goliath's sword and beheads him. When the enemy sees this, verse 51 says, they turn and ran. All of the enemies 
that are surrounding you, all of the devil's angels that uh, have been fighting you, when they begin to see that the battle is the Lord's, they begin to run. They begin to run. And I, I love that. And I was thinking, God, let my enemies begin to run. Let them see that you are the reason that we survive. You are the reason we are alive. You are the reason that you took some clay and you made me and formed me in your image. And you have purpose for me. You have a destiny for me. And every one of us are in that same category. I want to encourage you to keep doing what God has called you to do. And to all of the fathers, I want to encourage you to keep loving your your families. You keep telling your children you're proud of them. What? Yeah. Tell your children you're proud of them. And tell them what they're good at. Even if they're not the greatest yet. You you know, they might play sports and they may not be that great yet. But tell them, hey, you play sports like nobody else. That's not lying. And that'll make that kid feel so good. Why do I say that? Why should you love them? Tell them that you love them. Why should you tell them you're proud of them? Why should you tell them that they're good at something? Because that's what God did to Jesus Christ. He said, this is my beloved son. I'm proud of you. And whom... I am well pleased. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And then he says, listen to him. In other words, he's good at his ministry. Now, if Jesus had that from Father God, don't you think you as a father need to do the same to your own children? I think so. That's our greatest example. I love you. I'm proud of you. And you're good at. And for some strange reason today, I have felt like God has been speaking over your life. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, Dolores, I love you. He's saying, Dean, I'm so proud of you. And then he's saying, Freddie, you can sing like no other. You're awesome. He's saying, Elaine, keep playing your flute. You worship me in it. He's saying, Lisa, keep counting that money and keep saying honey. She always says, honey, honey. I love it. God is speaking over each and every one of us. I love you. I'm proud of you. And you're good at why. It's how he created you to be. So on this day, to all the fathers, and, and this was the emphasis today, we need you as spiritual leaders in the home. We need you to lead our families. 
Now, I know right now we're in a trying time of a virus, and I know we're trying to use wisdom. But when the time comes and we all feel comfortable to come back to church, you, until then, you get your family around the phone, your cell phone or your iPad or whatever you have, your computer, TV, and watch church together. You still need to be a spiritual leader of your home. And if you feel safe enough to to go out in public and come to church, you need to bring your family. Be a spiritual leader and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.